I don't think I'll ask you anything that you wouldn't want to answer, but you know, we will find out. (laughs) 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 This episode is sponsored by hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. So I actually have something to pitch this week that I'm, I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm doing a, a workshop in November here in Salt Lake that is all about, it's a five-day workshop to teach iOS developers how to do Mac development. It's going to be sort of like a conference, so hang out with cool people in a cool place, but actually learn something with real objectives. I'll post a link in the show notes. It's available in person. We also have online tickets if you just want to stream the sessions. I think it's going to be really great. I'm excited because I love Mac development. I'm excited to share it and to teach more people. So that's my pitch. Awesome. Is there a website? I don't know if I heard a URL. Yeah, I guess I should have said that. It's skillshop.me. So skillshop.me. Um, we're actually doing some courses in uh, in some other cool stuff, including 2D game development on iOS, Unity development, and VR slash AR. I'm not I'm not teaching those, but I think those are going to be great too. I'm excited to to take those ones, and then I'll be doing the Mac development class in November. Nice. We also have James Uber. I don't have any workshop to to promote. I feel like I'm falling behind here, but go on. <laughs> and Lane Mosley. Hello there. I'm in uh, Lehigh, Utah, as usual. Very cool. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv. I just realized yesterday that I tend to read people's names in the same order every week. And I realized that Skype alphabetizes them for me. And so when there are more or when there are four or fewer people on the call, I get the names in order and I just read them in the order that I see the picture. So it's kind of funny. Anyway, so this week we're going to be talking about, uh, is it day one? That's right. Day one. And Lane is going to play both host and guest, I guess. Do you want to briefly explain what day one is? Yeah, absolutely. So day one is a journaling app for Mac and iPhones. It's been around for over five years now, actually. I'm just looking at our timetable. The initial version of day one was released on Mac in March of 2011. And the best way to describe day one is capturing your life as you live it. That's kind of like our tagline. And you can mainly freeform like writing is kind of our main thing as we, we give you a great way to write things down about your life while also including, you know, photos and things like that, that you have. So yeah, that's kind of a short little description of day one. Yeah, I think I first heard about it from some of the business productivity podcasts that I listened to. They were saying that it was a great way to keep and start a journal. And I didn't realize that you worked on that until today. So, Yep, yep, that's what I'm doing. So I've known about day one almost since the beginning, and I've known Paul 
for a long time and, and have a really high opinion of the whole of Paul and the whole company and, and especially the app. I use the app. Can you tell us just a little bit about how, how the company got started? Because I think it's an interesting story. I'm probably not the best person to tell you that because, you know, I've worked at day, I've worked here for about a year, a little bit over a year. So but you I haven't been there since day one? I have not. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. The one thing I will say is there are an unlimited amount of puns around the word, the, the name of the product, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you the history as I know it, because it's actually really interesting how I learned about day one. I knew about day one well before I worked here because Paul, so Paul Main, he's our, he's our CEO. He's also our designer. He worked at i.tv, which is I worked there several years ago as well. And he left i.tv to come and, and do day one full time. And so I had heard about it just because I'd heard about Paul and everything. And he built this app with Ben Dolman, who is they're good friends. And they kind of moonlighted it for, I'm not sure, maybe six months or something like that. And they initially did it as a Mac app. And then they brought in the iPhone as well did both of those and they released that and you know releasing an app and this was in 2011 so you know at that time the app store was super popular there's a lot of apps and releasing app into into the wild without really any other you know business surrounding the app is is a pretty hard thing to get a lot of exposure and everything like that but very soon after it being released it was picked up and was an editor's choice in the Mac App Store and this is kind of a common theme is that we keep we were able to get attention from Apple over and over and over because of the good design and, and, and Apple has just always really liked day one. And so I would say that's kind of a chief driver in our popularity is, is the attention that Apple gives us. That's interesting. So what, what you're saying is that the only product that the company makes is day one and you make all your money by selling day one. That is correct. Yeah. So we have one, one source of revenue right now and it is initial app sale. Which is really cool to me because, uh, as uh, most of us developers know, uh, the market has shifted to where the top grossing apps in the App Store are mostly free within app purchase games. And a lot of those are kind of scammy, at least borderline scammy. And they're not really about providing a product that people love and are just willing to pay for. They're kind of trying to figure out sneaky ways to exploit people's psychology or whatever and get money from them. This is really just like straight ahead, we make a great thing. Give us a reasonable amount of money for it and you get to use it and people love it and they do it. So it makes me proud and happy for day one. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> it's sad that that's a throwback now, nowadays. It is sad. The history of day one intersects with me just a little bit. So I've known Paul for a while since back when he and, well, I don't know about him, but at least when Ben was just moonlighting working on it and then, and then the guys who were doing the iOS app too. And he actually asked me to come on and work full-time and be the first full-time developer because Ben didn't really want to leave his his job at that time and uh, didn't end up working out. I stayed where I was and he convinced Ben to, to leave and do it full-time and I've often sort of regretted that because I would love to work with Paul and to work on day one, but maybe in the future. Never know, I guess, right? You never know. I did. I did actually develop another app besides day one for Paul, but it never saw the light of day because I think day one started making enough money. There was no reason to do anything else. Yeah. So a couple interesting things. We have a, like milestones on our, on our website that you can kind of look at. A couple of the really interesting ones are um, we got iPad app store, you know, app of the week. So several times we were able to get app of the week. And then The Verge came and did a, a really nice review. 
And then Jack Dorsey endorsed the app, which is really, really interesting. And so those are just a, a lot of things that just really added a lot of momentum. And then we got the Mac App Store app of the year, which, you know, whenever you get a full, like, front row feature on the App Store, I mean, it, it just boosts sales like crazy. So that seems really interesting to me that, you know, at least from what you're describing, if you can get Apple to promote your application, then good things happen for you. I mean, is, is there anything else that, that you all have done to make the product uh, go as well as it has? Or Yeah, I think another thing that we've done really well in years past is we adopt new things that come out in iOS almost immediately. And so, and we use just as many features as we can of the, of, of the OS. So, you know, a couple examples are, this may seem silly, but it's actually super useful is we use the step count. So when iPhones had pedometers put in them, we attach the step count to your journal entries. And while it may seem silly, it's actually super interesting because when you look at a journal entry and you see how many steps you've taken up until that moment, when you wrote the journal entry, it starts to recall memories. And so we also add tons of metadata, such as, you know, the weather and whether it was raining or it was sunny, things like that. And, and so we use all of the data that the phone gives in order to, you know, kind of recall memories as, as you're, you know, recalling things. So that's one thing. Definitely. We, we use as many features as we possibly can in iOS. And Apple really likes that. You know, they like to promote and feature apps that are using all of the new technology. I think another thing that has been that day one has done that's really smart is I, I don't know if you've done this in other instances, but I do know for sure for iCloud, which you've moved away from, and I want to talk about that. But um, when iCloud first came out, I think day one was really one of the first third party apps that uh, embraced it and started using it and was on, you know, release an update with iCloud support. And of course, Apple loves that when they come out with some big new feature at WWDC and then you take advantage of it in your app. And when the new OS is released in the fall or whatever, they can, you know, feature some apps on the app store to say, Hey, here's, here are great apps that use the new stuff we just announced. And, um, you've been good about jumping on that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I wasn't here when iCloud was, was, uh, put in, but I believe, um, from what I've heard that we were the largest iCloud user at the time. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Besides Apple. I I yeah, uh, yeah, obviously. As far as third-party apps goes, we were we were probably the biggest one there. So Paul Main, the guy who who came up with the app and, and started the company and is still the CEO, is a designer by profession, a really good one too. Apple, Apple, Apple Design Award winning even for day one. So how is that working at a company where you know the CEO and and the guy in charge is a designer? So you know. I've worked at a lot of startups, and so I've seen a lot of different CEOs and, and what they believe in their products and, and how they how they work. I think Paul's my favorite. I'm going to say it. I think he is. And, and the reason is, is because he is like the number one user of day one. Like he has like 10,000 journal entries or something over five years. It's, it's crazy. There's so much. And because he's like number one user and he's the designer... He has so much insight into what, you know, a, a user of the app has that he, I don't know, it's just, it's really personal to him. And, and so he's like so motivated. And so in, in my opinion, like, I love it because he really, really knows what somebody wants when they're using our app. And it's, it's great. 
Well, and he cares. He does. He cares so much. Exactly. Because I've seen CEOs come into a company or even start a company. And after a while, it's all about the bottom line or it's about keeping the board or the shareholders happy. And so to have a CEO that's engaged with the product, I'm sure that makes a huge difference because he cares then about what you're doing. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it's also really interesting to note that we do not have any outside investors. And so there is no board. There there are no investors. There's no anybody, really. It's it's just Paul and the team. And he leads us in in this, you know, how, how do we continually make day one better? And, you know, I would say that his number one thing is is just that, is how can we make the product as good as possible? So then I'm curious, how, how do you make the product or I guess, what's your process at the company? Is it agile, which could mean any number of different things? Are you doing scrum? Um, and the other question I have is how do new features get added or what's the process for that? So we're really pretty loose. I mean, I'd say we do follow some, you know, agile principles, but the development flow is pretty simple. Paul or really anybody else, but Paul leads this. He he has a list of features. In fact, I think he has years worth of a roadmap. I'm currently working on something personally that he's wanted for like four years. And so he really leads the, you know, kind of the product development. And then we do have another guy here named Dallas Peterson, who he he's kind of like, I would say, kind of the head of the product side. And so it's really him and Paul. Him and Paul lead the, you know, what, what we want to do down the road, you know, kind of figure out our map. And that's about it. Like they come up with ideas, they pitch the ideas to everybody. We all give our input and then we just start working on them. Like it's, it's pretty, pretty simple. <laughs> and then on the other end, do you have like CI or anything else set up? Some kind yeah, of- we, we do that. And we, you know, we, so we've got CI set up. So we do, we run our tests and all that. We use GitHub. Uh, like all the time for pull requests and for reviewing code and all that kind of stuff. And then we, we just build milestones based on what we want to do, but we're, we're pretty loose on those because the number one goal is a quality product. And so we iterate quite a bit. So, you know, Paul will come up with an idea and then for example, one of the developers will code up a, a kind of like a prototype of it. He'll play around with it. He'll take it home, use it for a couple days, come back with feedback, and we just kind of go back and forth until we arrive at something that we feel is is pretty awesome. So day one started out as a project that people were working on in their in their spare. Well, I shouldn't say spare time, but evenings and weekends, moonlighting that had full time jobs. And I know Ben reasonably well. I don't know. Uh, I can't really remember the other the guys who were working on the iOS app in the beginning, but I've always had the impression that, you know, that's a little difficult because people can't really devote their full time and energy to things. And they may sometimes take shortcuts. In the meantime, day one has built up this team of incredible developers who I really respect. And to one degree or another, kind of know all of you. And I imagine you are writing really good code for the most part. We can always help, you know. (laughs) Well, yeah. So anyway, what I'm getting at here is maybe you don't know because you've only been there a year, but I wonder if there was sort of a transition when when day one went from this moonlighting thing to, okay, we're really doing this for real. Everybody's going to work on it full time and have this serious code base. And it's, I think, a fairly mature code base too, right? You're in version 2.0, which was a really serious thing. It's not a fake version 2.0. It's a real version 2.0. 
2.0 was, was, was massive. So, yeah, you know, I can't really say when the transition happened, you know, between, you know, moonlighting to, to full-time gig. If you've used day one from the very beginning, you know, the initial app was just really bare bones. It was like, here's a list of the things you've written and here's the content. You know, you could add one picture to each journal entry. There was no sync. There was nothing. Like it was very, very, very simple. But what I really like, and it's very similar to now, is the constant iterating and perfecting that just has gone over years and years. And, you know, when day one started making some serious money is I think, you know, when Paul realized, hey, I've got an idea here that isn't just, you know, a pet project. Like this is, this is a serious business. And the app was really, it really was able to tap into a little niche market where people, you know, people generally want to do this. A lot of people do. And day one makes it a lot easier than keeping like a handwritten journal. And so, you know, what we're trying to do, you know, is make that next generation of, you know, journal or record keeping, you know, for individuals. Yeah. So how do you improve on a pad and paper? What are you doing to make journaling more something that people are actually going to do? Everyone, a lot of people think, oh, I'll journal and they don't do it or they do it for two days. Yeah. How do you, how do you keep people doing it? So right now, well, let me put it this way. There's a, there's a lot of things that we're doing. So so one is metadata, I think, which is really interesting. I didn't think that metadata was that big of a deal until I started journaling a lot. Now that I work here, obviously, I journal like every day, right? And pulling in all sorts of metadata into your journal entries automatically is a huge thing to me because it really helps a person, you know, kind of jog their memory and recall certain events. Even if you haven't written a lot about the day, because you have all of this metadata, it's really, really interesting. It's easy to remember. So we pull in locations automatically so we can map for you where you've written all of your journal entries. When you add a photo, we automatically grab you know, the EXIF data in the photo and apply that to the entry so that we can so that it can put that entry where you took the photo, not from where you're writing the entry. We have really good filtering and searching so that you can go back to previous years and and easily identify things you've written in the past. There's tagging involved so that you can tag all of your general entries for easy searching and filtering later. Um, There's just these, these things that, you know, these aren't unique things to, to journaling. You know, they, they are across a lot of the technology that we have now, but when they're applied specifically, um, it creates a really compelling case. Um, Another feature that we added um, just this year is called on this day, which if you're familiar with time hop, it's very similar to that where we automatically will show you entries, you know, journal entries that you've written in years past which is a great way to remember things, you know, that have happened in your life. As a user of day one, two things I would say that, that day one does. Well, one thing is really simple. It's easier to write a journal when you can write in your journal wherever you are because it's on your phone or on your Mac, whereas, you know, can't carry a notebook around. Well, I guess you can, but can't, can't carry a legitimate journal around with you everywhere, or at least not as easily. The other thing is I think day one encourages you to make jur- a journal, not a not a big thing, right? You don't have to write a page long thing every night or whatever. You can write a sentence or two where you are or take a picture and write a caption with it, which is no more difficult than posting on Instagram or Facebook really, right? So there's a lot of friction removed. It will also send you reminders every day if you want wanted to. 
Yep, that's absolutely right. That's a great point, Andrew, because a lot of people have called it micro journaling because it is, you don't have to sit there and describe the day and everything that happened. You can throw a picture in there, write a couple sentences, and you've got just about as much information as you need. And that's pretty awesome. I suppose now is as good a time as any to talk about sync because it's another cool thing about day one, which is that you can use it on your Mac and your iPhone and your iPad and everything is synced between devices. And you were do- day one was doing this even before iCloud was a thing uh, using Drop- Dropbox. Yeah, I would say, you know, real quick before we keep going on this topic, this is another one of the reasons why day one was so popular is because we were doing sync with Dropbox, you know, before sync was really popular, you know, being able to write a little bit on your iPhone and then write a whole bunch on your Mac was just really great. People just love that. So I was going to, I was going to ask a little bit about the technical details because you've, I mean, day one is essentially entrusted with something really valuable and important from each user. And that is their journal entries. It's, it's, it's a, a very bad thing if they get corrupted or get lost or, you know, users are not going to be happy about that and rightfully so because they're they're precious what does that mean for for day one is that sort of a hard hard thing to deal with and i'm also curious about some of the you know technical problems you've encountered yeah so you know everyone really liked dropbox and icloud syncing because it was private you know well to whatever degree those services are and people have a lot of faith in apple with privacy obviously and and so when we introduced icloud people loved that because it was super private and and everyone loved that now, when we launched 2.0, we removed iCloud and Dropbox, and we have we have built our own syncing service. You know, we call it Day One Sync. And if anyone has worked on sync, you know that it is one of the most difficult things to get right because there are an infinite number of edge cases, and it's it's just very very hard. In fact, you know, iCloud out the gate was it was a good service, but you know, it had its fair share of problems. And so, you know, we take security super, super seriously. You know, it's a very, very, a thing we think about a lot because, you know, we are not a service where we're going to mine your data for, you know, advertisers. That's not what we're going to do. And, and so when we launched 2.0 or 2.0 app, you know, this year with our own seeking service only, there was a little bit of a backlash because people were concerned about the privacy and the security. So, Andrew, let me ask you now, like, did, was that something that you, considered, you know, when, when 2.0 came out as a user? Uh, definitely. Although, you know, I already said, I know Paul and have known Paul for a, a while and know other people on the, the team and have a lot of respect for you and trust, trust the team. I'm, so I, I'm not maybe the, the, the regular user that doesn't really know anything about the company. I f- feel right. a little close to it. So it's kind of like, well, I trust that they're not going to steal my data or scam me or, you know, whatever. And, and right. I also, and, and also technically, I think you guys are really smart. So I was pretty confident that you'd come up with something that worked the way it was supposed to and wasn't going to lose my data or whatever. But, you know, accepting all that. Yeah. I mean, in general, I'm going to trust Apple and for that matter, Dropbox more than some small team of 10 people or however many you have that yep. has never, never done this before kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think the concerns are definitely valid. But, you know, the, there, there's definitely reasons why we decided to go that way. And, you know, one of the main reasons was just the experience, right? So, you know, Dropbox is about file sharing and, and iCloud also was about, you know, sharing files and everything. And, you know, the experience of syncing with those was fine, but it wasn't, you know, spectacular. 
And our service, if you've used it, is just extremely fast. You know, we we do a, a, it's a very tailored service for 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 what uh, the product does, and so the speed and reliability are really really great. Now, um, you know, one of the other concerns is 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 privacy. So, you know, we're currently working on full end to end encryption that will be out later this year, probably towards the year. And, you know, we're hoping with, you know, with that, you know, the, the privacy concerns will, will go away because at that point, you know, we will have no idea the contents of your, your journals. What did it take as a team of originally a team of iOS developers and, and Mac developers and a designer? You know, how did, how did you go from that to knowing how to do a backend for, for sync. And I, t- if, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about how the backend's implemented. I can't even remember now, but you're using something of an interesting tech stack, I think. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not, you know, on the backend team. So I'll start here is, is um, we did hire, you know, a couple guys to do backend for us, you know, so, so it wasn't like the iOS guys came and like, oh, we're going to do backends now. You know, we hired a couple, you know, really, really smart guys. It took, you know, a, a long time to design, you know, the whole, the whole system. I don't know all of the technical details myself, you know, because I'm, I'm really focused on the iOS side, you know, but we, you know, we're pretty standard. We run stuff in Amazon. We use Couchbase as our database and, you know, the server's all written in Scala, which is, as far as I understand, fantastic language. And, you know, just like I said, very tailored and I, you know, I arrived here after this was all finished. And so, you know, I, I don't really know exactly how we got from from there to where we are now, but so far, you know, I've I've been using you know our syncing service for quite a long time, and it's pretty great. I'm trying not to monopolize. I have more <laughs> questions if nobody else does. Go right ahead. One thing that I'm curious about is that when I was introduced to day one, it was mostly a Mac app, and then the iOS. It seemed like it, it kind of came along later. Does it feel like it's a Mac app with an iOS extension? Or vice versa, or are they really sort of on par one system with the other? Yeah, at, at the current time, they are definitely on par. Everything that you can do in the Mac app, you can do in the iOS app, and we have a substantial number of users on iOS compared to Mac. There's there's a lot more, and a lot of that goes back to the fact that we gave the app away for a you know promotion that Apple did we gave away like millions of copies of the app and so you know just those numbers but but yeah they're definitely on par and we we have a lot more iOS users than Mac users that leads into what was going to be my question which is how do you deal with sharing code between the two cuz i imagine there's a lot of stuff that the Mac and iOS apps do that should be able to be shared yep yep you're absolutely right so we have three repositories. We have a Mac and an iOS and then what we call our day one core. And day one core is is the, you know, everything, really everything that is shared. So the big thing is all of our syncing. So all of the code that does syncing is 100% shared between the two platforms, which is pretty great. And, you know, on, a tech, on the technical side, you know, the way that we in, just include that code is right now it's pretty easy because we're specifically on Apple platforms. And so we basically, our core is, is included as a sub module in Git. 
And we include that as an Xcode subproject, and that subproject builds a framework, and that framework gets included into the iOS or Mac apps, and it just gets run from there. So we have pretty good success with sharing code. We we have, I would say, our our shared code base is as big as either of the apps themselves. There is there's a ton ton of shared code. It's great. It occurs to me, you know, not it's not only syncing code, but all of like our data storage as well, because we use core data extensively, which is, um, you know, available on iOS and Mac. And so all of our data storage and model layer is shared as well. That's really cool. You know, and, and you think of a journaling app and, you know, it seems like pretty simple, but but, you know, as as was said earlier, it's it's very mature and it does a lot of things way more than meets the eye and so any code that we can share is is fantastic for example we can also share code that does our photo processing you know because we're all on apple we can all use those nice foundation frameworks to do just a just a variety of things and and it's great one other thing that i'm a little curious about is is day one in the apple mac app store or is it it is yep you pick up on your own no, it is exclusively in the uh, the Mac App Store right now. The main reasons for that were iCloud. Um, you can only use iCloud. Well, you could, could only use iCloud. Yep, that's that's changing with with the next updates. And the other reason was we use MapKit, which also now is no longer you know a requirement to be in the Mac App Store. So there were a few few frameworks that we were using that you know that were a requirement to be in the Mac App Store. But that's all changed, and so I don't know. There, there may be a time in the future where we, you know, get out of the Mac App Store as well. It's just a little bit more complicated, and you know, they have to worry about licensing and and things like that. But we've had, you know, good success in the Mac App Store. I, I'd say we're probably one of the most successful Mac App Store apps that's that's ever been, you know, created. One Mac App Store app of the year award in 2012, maybe was it? I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was 2012. Yeah. If you don't have any more questions, I I think we're probably good. Okay, well, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Jane, do you want to start us with picks? Did you go in order or you switch it up? I'm switching it up. Oh, man, going crazy. All right, you know you've all had this discussion. You know Airplane the movie is funny, right? There's a lot of jokes, but what is the best joke in Airplane? We've all discussed this. Not personally, but, you know, metaphorically, many people have discussed what's the best joke. A group of people got together, comedy writers. They went through every joke in Airplane, and they ranked it. And it's an entertaining read if you like the movie, or even if you don't like the movie, you probably enjoy reading over it. So every joke from Airplane ranked. It's a blog post. It's on a URL I can't pronounce, but I will put in the show notes. But if, yeah, if you want a 22-minute read about Airplane, I've got you covered. So here it is. That's so funny, Jim. I saw that yesterday as well and was just just cracking up. It's so ridiculous. (laughs) Yes, commentary on on airplane. Very, very topical. Nice. Lane, what are your picks? I have one and it is called Rescue Time, which is a, a little app that you can install on your Mac. And they have a bunch of different platforms. And it will basically analyze everything you're doing on your computer and categorize those activities and give you a nice dashboard of what you're spending your time on on your computer. And it seems scary, but I believe that knowledge is power. And so 
I am now trying to stop using TweetBot so much during the workday because now I understand how much time I'm on there. That's rescue time. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I've used it before too, I think. Or I might be using something else. I, th- I think mine's called Desk Time. Anyway. Yeah, there's there's several of these products. But if you're just interested in, you know, exactly, you know, basically to the minute of what you're doing during your workday or whatever, it's it's pretty great. Yep. Andrew, what are your picks? I've got two picks today. They are admittedly both sort of self-promoting picks, but too bad. Uh, the first one is actually sort of relevant to what we were just talking about, which is why I thought of it. But I appeared on the latest episode of the Ray Wenderlich podcast. And they're friends of the show, too, so I think it's legitimate. And I was talking about sort of the business of, of Mac apps. And we talked a lot about selling on the Mac app store versus selling outside the Mac app store and what the pros and cons there are. And, you know, because I, I, I have experience doing both. As we record this, that episode is actually not out, but I think it's supposed to be out later today. So I'll get a link for the show notes. I think it was a good episode. I, I actually really enjoy listening to the Ray Wenderlich podcast myself. It's really the only iOS podcast besides iFreaks that I follow at all. And then my second pick is something I talked about at the very beginning of the show, which is a workshop that I'm doing. It's a new company that's just starting called Skillshop doing workshops. I'm going to be doing one of the first workshops we do, and I'm going to be doing a workshop on on Mac development. And, and it's for people who are already iOS developers or you know, good at that, but want to learn, want to add, add Mac development to their set of skills. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I think we're going to put together something that's a lot of fun and also teaches you a real skill that can help you improve your ability as a developer. So check that out. And that's at skillshop.me. Those are my picks. Nice. I've got a few picks that I'm going to throw out there. These are all things that you can do to help the show out. The first one is if you have a guest or a topic recommendation, you can go to ifreakshow.com and click the links to suggest topics and suggest guests. Uh, that would help me know what you want to know. If you have, if you just have a question, you can just put that in as a topic and then maybe we can tackle it and answer it. Another pick that I have, and this is also related to the show, is I've set up a Facebook page for the show. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So if you want to go like the page, that would really help as well. It gets us a little bit more noticed. I don't know what the right word is, but it, it ranks us better on people's pages on their home pages on Facebook. So, you know, the more likes we have, the better off we are. So uh, I would appreciate people going and pick and uh, liking that. And then finally, I've been using Calendly for a long time to do scheduling stuff. And I just stumbled across Schedule Once, which is competitor to, to Calendly. And the reason that it, I've, I'm picking it is because Calendly is nice. I really like it. It works really well. But the problem I had was that in order to connect to multiple calendars, I had to set up multiple accounts, which really kind of sucks. So I just switched things over to schedule once. And now I have sign-up pages for each of the shows that puts the guests into their own calendar and things like that for each show. And it just, it works really well. So I'm also going to pick schedule once. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Quick reminder to go check out Andrew's course. And if you come out to Salt Lake City, let us know because a few of us are close by and would love to meet you. And we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week. Bye-bye now. Thanks, guys.